This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. But tonight, we are kicking off a brand new series here at Courageous Church called Outlandish. And if you're watching this message online, we want to take just a few moments to greet you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to talk to you over the next five to seven weeks about what it means to have an outlandish faith. I want to talk about what it looks like to be outlandish in your faith. If you go to the Webster's Dictionary and you look up the word outlandish, here's what it's going to say. Strikingly out of the ordinary, exceeding proper or reasonable limits or standards. When we talk about having an outlandish faith, what we're talking about is something that's strikingly out of the ordinary. I want to give you a permission as a participant in this church, as a member of this church, as a guest of this church, as a friend of this church, to be outlandish in your faith, to get a little out of the ordinary. I believe that we are living in times right now that demand from us that we get out of the ordinary. Some of us have been asleep at the wheel. Some of us have been living an ordinary Christian life, and I believe that God calls us to an extraordinary one. He calls us to be outlandish, to get beyond what is proper, to get beyond what is reasonable. Hey, friends, I'm all for reason. I'm all for what's proper, but I believe that Jesus invites us into something that's wild. He invites us into something that's dangerous. He invites us to something that's risky. I'm wondering if I'm talking to anybody tonight that's ready to risk it all for Jesus. The vision of Courageous Church is simple. It's to see people become courageous followers of Jesus. That's what our heartbeat beats for. That's what we live for. To see people become equipped and empowered in their faith to love and to follow and to serve Jesus courageously. That's the mission of our church. It's our mandate. It's what we live for. It's what we want to see. It's where we're going. When you sign up to be a part of this amazing thing called Courageous Church, you're signing up to be a part of what God is building upon the earth, and that is his church. He's building his ecclesia. That's the word that we see in the Greek. That's the word that Jesus uses. And when you sign up to be a part of what he's building, you're invited into something that looks a little out of the ordinary, something that is outlandish. I'm talking about the church. Jesus said this, and here's the good news. I will build my church in the gates of hell or Hades or death, however you want to translate it, will not prevail against it. The good news for us is that God is inviting us to be a part of what he's building. Did you catch that? Jesus said, I will build my church. Can I tell you something? When you see statements in the Bible where God says, I will do it, I will do it, I will do it, you can bet that it's gonna get done. So the real question is, for you and for me tonight, is do we wanna be a part of what he's doing? Do we wanna be a part of what Jesus is building in the earth? Or do we want to just live a ordinary life? Come on, church. I believe God is calling us to get outlandish, to get beyond and to stretch beyond the limitations of what is ordinary and proper and reasonable. 
Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Meaning Jesus invites us to be a part of what he's already blessed. See, we're not up here saying, God bless us, bless our endeavors, bless our work because he's already invited us to his. He's already invited us to be a part of what is unstoppable in the earth. I'm talking about his church tonight. As we go through this series, I want to give you permission to not only be outlandish in your faith, but to live outlandishly. What do I mean by that? Well, when we talk about having an outlandish faith, we're talking about something that's beyond our human limitations. I believe that God has called us to a supernatural life. And not just a supernatural life, but a supernatural lifestyle. Meaning that if you are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is in you, if you've placed your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus and he abides in you and you abide in him, guess what? What Jesus did, he invites you to do. How cool is that? Jesus said this to his disciples at the end of his ministry on earth. He said, greater works than these will you do. Greater works. Now, pause with me for a moment. When I consider the works of Jesus, when I consider all the miracles, all the amazing stories, come on, some of you guys have read them. When I think about all the things that Jesus has done, and then I think about the statement that he makes to his followers, that even greater things than these will you do, I'm challenged by that. Anybody else challenged by that? Anybody else bothered by that? Maybe just a little bit. Because the implication is this. The implication is that if we're not seeing the greater works, maybe we're not doing the things that Jesus has asked us to do. And that should challenge us. And as the church, both Big C and as a little C church, as a local expression of his body on earth here in South Jordan and in Salt Lake City and in Utah, I'm challenged by the fact that Jesus expects us to do even greater works than he did. Now, how are we going to do it? I'll tell you how. Through the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit at work in us. When you become a Christian, you don't just sign up to be a part of a new social club. You don't just sign up to exchange your rules of life for a new rule of life. You become a new creation. You become filled with his spirit and his power. And the invitation is not that we are going to do things according to our strength and our power. No, the invitation is now that we're going to allow his spirit to live in us and move through us and do greater works in us and through us. Amen? In this way, I believe that our lives should look different than the world's. Our lives should look a little bit different than what we see. And I believe this, Jesus didn't save you and he didn't save me and he didn't redeem you and he didn't redeem me for us to stay the same. For us to stay the same, to live a marginally okay life, to live an ordinary life. No, because God has made us for so much more. God has made you for so much more. And I really want you to grab a hold of this throughout these seven weeks that we have together and talking about having an outlandish faith, I want you to grab a hold of this in your heart, that God made you for more. That God made you for more. And some of us have bought into the idea that if, um, you know, 
life happens to us and we get by and we put some money in our bank account that everything's going to be all right. And I believe God has made us for so much more. A part of my heart as your pastor is to awaken that desire and that hunger on the inside of you for more. And I'm not talking about more in just the, the way that we tend to think about it as we accumulate things and stack up our bank accounts. No, I'm talking about the ability and capacity to carry what God wants you to steward, to carry his presence in such a way that when you walk into a grocery store and you bump into a woman, that God can give you in that moment a word of knowledge for her life that will turn everything around. That when you go to a park and you see someone sitting there all alone, that God says, you know what? I want you to share your faith with them. I want you to share the gospel with them that you don't go, oh, I don't know. Maybe Jesus finds somebody else. That you go, you know what? Come on, let's do it. That when you see what God wants to do in you and through you, it doesn't just frighten you, but it arouses in you faith. It awakens in you a holy hunger for more because you were made for more. Do you believe that tonight? Having an outlandish faith is first and foremost about recognizing that God has made you for more. And by the grace of God today, we're going to equip you to live like it. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're watching online, give me an amen or a high five or a little silly emoji, okay? And that'll let me know that you're ready. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. Today, we're going to begin with a passage of text that is actually going to be our primary text throughout this series. It's one that I'm going to come back to every week for the next six to seven weeks. And before we get to the primary verses that I really want to focus in on, I want to set this up a little bit for us because I want you to hear the heartbeat of God for you in and through Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to begin right there in verse one. If you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor Jason. All right, that wasn't very convincing. <laughs> chapter 10, verses one through four. And I'm going to put it on the screen here for you so we can read together. And here's what it says. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal some disease. Just wanted to make sure we're, we're, we're tracking here. No, to heal every disease and to heal every affliction. The names of the 12 disciples and apostles are these. Are you ready? First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. I want to start with this question tonight, and it's my first key point for us. Has Jesus called you by name? Has Jesus called you by name? Here in this text that we're looking at, it lists the names of 12 followers of Jesus that were called out by Jesus by name. If you read the Gospels, and I sincerely hope that you do, if you read the story of Jesus, you know that Jesus is in the business of calling people by name. Meaning, and this is important, and I want you to hear this. Meaning he knows their story. Meaning he knows the details about their life. Did you know that God knows your story and that God knows the details of your life? Elsewhere in Matthew, it's Jesus says that he knows the hairs 
that are on your head or the lack thereof for some of you older guys. He knows people by name, meaning he knows their story. He knows their past. He knows all their mistakes. He knows the times when when they got real angry and banged on things. And he knows the times when when people walked away. He knows the times when, when people looked lustfully upon a woman. He knows all the details of their life. And yet, and yet, he calls them by name. He calls them out and he says, come and follow me. Come take my yoke, my interpretation of Torah upon you and follow me. Get covered in the dust of the rabbi and follow me. He knows the names of the people he calls. So let me ask you, has Jesus called you? If you're watching online, has he called you? Has he called you by name? Has he asked you to come and follow him? Does he know your name? If the answer to that question is yes, and I hope for everybody in here tonight it is, and if it isn't, before you leave, I want to give you the opportunity to make this certain. But if he has called you by name, and the answer to that question is yes, then here's what I want you to do right now in your Bible. I want you to add your name to the end of this list. Do it right now. If you've got a print Bible, take out a a pen from one of the seats in front of you, and write your name after Judas Iscariot. How appropriate. Put your name in the story, guys, because here's the deal. And you can swipe it. You can highlight it if you've got your your phone app. But here's the deal. Your name belongs in this list. This isn't just a story about them, guys. It's a story about us. The invitation isn't just for them to follow. The invitation is for us. And so if Jesus has called you by name and he said, come and follow me, I want you to put your name in this story. Write it in there. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has called you, then your name belongs in this story too. Because you belong to Jesus. You belong to the master. You belong to the savior. You are his disciple. You are his redeemed. You are his beloved. And he calls you by name. I want to pause here for just a moment and give you guys a few moments to do that. If you're still writing Some of you are putting your middle name and your last name. That's great. But I want to pause here and I want to say this. And what I'm about to say is paramount to anything that I'm going to say next. So I don't want you to miss this. If you have been called by name, if you have been chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if you believe that Jesus is who he said to be, the Son of God and the Messiah, then you have now the extreme privilege and the extreme honor to carry his name. Are you tracking with me tonight? You bear forth the name of Christ in all that you do and everywhere you go. Did you catch it in that last verse? It says this, Jesus called his disciples and he gave them what? Authority. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every disease, and to cure every affliction. And how did he do it? Through his name. He sent them in the power and in the authority of his name, which means that names are powerful, which means that your story, or excuse me, your name in this story is powerful because names carry authority. Names carry identity. Names carry weight. When people talk about you, Stephen, and they use your name, 
and they say, well, that Stephen is a real upstanding fellow, it carries reputation. It carries weight. It carries significance. And when we as the people of God, the redeemed, the beloved, the chosen ones, carry the name of Christ, we carry his authority, we carry his representation, we carry his identity here on earth which means that we have the honor and the privilege to bear forth his name. I really want to get this solidified in you guys before we do or say anything else. Because what we're about to step into as a church is going to demand from us that we understand how to carry the name of Christ, how to steward and bear forth the name. In Hebrew tradition, the name was so holy and so sacred that they often referred to it as the name, as Adonai. They wouldn't even say the words Yahweh. They wouldn't even utter it because it was too holy. It was too sacred. It was too powerful. And I fear that in our Christian, Western, liberal, educated minds, that we've taken the name of Jesus and we've relegated it to a place in our life that no longer carries significance or weight, that no longer carries authority, that no longer is treasured and made sacred and holy in our lives. We see it in pop culture, don't we? When people take the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus Christ, right? Using the name of God in a way that doesn't represent Jesus well, that doesn't steward his holy name, that doesn't care about the significance of what that name represents. But as Christ followers, as disciples, you and I are called to bear forth the name of Christ. And we, we, we carry it and we steward it honorably. We do so with the understanding that it's holy. We do so with the understanding that it carries weight and authority to cast out demons, to heal diseases, to cure afflictions. When we say that we're Christ followers or little Christ Christians, what we're saying is that we bear the sacred name of God in all that he represents in the world. It means, and here's the implication for us, it means that our lives are no longer ours. It means that our lives no longer belong simply to us. We are marked by the king of the universe. We are marked by Jesus. And here in Matthew 10, Jesus has given his name and his authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. And I want to say this to us. Courageous church, this is our heritage. This is our inheritance. This is our calling. This is what we contend for and believed for. To see the sick healed. To see diseases cured. To see people that are unwell and demonized set free. This is what we are going to contend for in Salt Lake City. And if that scares you, I'm sorry. I hope you remain curious. But if that excites you, then come on. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. Jesus has given us his name and his authority to do it. To cast out demons. To see people that are demonized get set free. Let me share a fun story with you. Two and a half years ago, my wife and I moved here in 2018, so three years ago, but two, half, two and a half years ago, we were walking downtown with our family. We had just left the Kanye West concert that had taken place there. Anybody remember that? 
when Kanye West showed up unannounced and thousands of people came out to see him. I saw people like in trees just trying to get a glimpse. It's kind of crazy. And we had just left the, the little flash mob, flash concert that he had put on down at the Gateway Center in downtown. And we were walking along, just having a good time, Candace and I and my three little babies, you know, at that time, well, it was about two years ago, so eight, nine, and 10 years old. And this woman starts coming toward us, most likely homeless, most likely unwell. But when we got up to about 50 feet, she started to move away. And as she did, she started to curse and swear at us. And as we continued to walk closer toward her, she continued to retreat. And it got to the point where she started to cross the street, the 600 South there. You know which one I'm talking about? The one that goes right up onto the freeway overpass? She starts to cross this street and she starts screaming at us. Now, up until this point, we're just like, okay, you know, she's crazy, right? You, you have the normal thoughts that most normal ordinary people have, which is, oh, she's unwell, she's homeless, she must be out of her mind. But then something shifted, and she began to speak very specifically about where we were in relation to the church that we were planting. She said, don't you think I don't know that you're starting that church in holiday? Don't you think I don't know what you're doing here? And started screaming at us, meanwhile, retreating every step of the way. Don't you think, I don't know that you're in holiday. Now, for those of you that don't know our story, we planted Courageous Church in holiday and we hadn't yet started in holiday yet. We were just getting ready to have our very first service about a month or two out from September 15th, 2019. And so she starts screaming and gussing and, and then she starts saying all these things specifically. What, what, what is it that we encountered? We encountered an unclean spirit. We encountered someone that was demonized. We encountered someone that knew things that they shouldn't know. And so I want to say to you that when we go out as a church to share our faith and to pray for people, don't be surprised when people know stuff about you that they shouldn't know. Don't be surprised by the nature of the demonic. Did we see that in Jesus' life and ministry? Yes, teacher, we did. Did we see that in the life of the disciples when they went out? Yes, teacher, we did. So what we're talking about is completely biblical. Now, that's one story. I could tell you hundreds of stories of my encounters with the demonic, and I'm not here to do that tonight because what I want us to see is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to, to, to fall back when we encounter things like the disciples encountered in scripture. We don't need to be alarmed when we come up against people that are operating in a supernatural way because God has called us to a supernatural life. He's called us to be outlandish. Are you tracking with me tonight? Verse five, then Jesus, excuse me, verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here's the second point I want to make tonight for those of you taking notes. Number two, Jesus has very specific plans for his followers for where to go and where not to go. Are you with me? 
which means that Jesus doesn't always call us to go everywhere at every time. I want to let that settle in for just a moment. Because I recognize that many of us who have heard the Great Commission in the Calling, which I would say is a general commission to the Big C Church to go out into all the world, sometimes erroneously believe that that means that we can just go anywhere we want and just do whatever we want. Guys, we don't see that in the life of Jesus. There's some places Jesus didn't go. There's some places Paul didn't go that he was going to go that the Spirit told him to avoid. So here's what I want to say. We need to be, we need to be spirit-led in understanding where Jesus wants us to go and where he doesn't want us to go. Years ago, I went to Nigeria, Africa, and I got jumped by people that wanted to hurt me. Now, I'm not saying to you and to me that that means that every time you go out into the world and you experience trouble or altercations with people, that means you're not supposed to be there. But I want you to understand that sometimes in our zeal for the things of God and our desire to make disciples of all nations and our desire to fulfill the Great Commission and to go into all the world, that sometimes we need to take the time to pray and discern the specific plans that Jesus has for us, meaning for you. There is a reason why God called us to Salt Lake City and not Milwaukee. Now, could the case be made that if I said, God, I really have a heart for Milwaukee and I want to go there, that he'd let me? Perhaps. But I got to tell you, I'm not from Utah. Utah wasn't even on my radar 10 to 20 years ago. I had no idea about what was going on here until God opened my eyes, until God arrested me, until God called me, until God said, it's time for you to go. So here's what I want to say to you and to me. We need to understand that it's important to be called, but it's also important to be sent. You need to know that Jesus has called you and sent you to go where you're called to go. Meaning that there may be places in the city, guys, that we're not going to venture into because Jesus didn't tell us to do it. Which means that we got to be willing to pray, which is why we should come on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. <laughs> which means that we got to be willing to discern. We got to be willing to, to listen in and say, God, if this isn't a part of your perfect and pleasing will for my life, then help me to make the right decision. And sometimes God will say, I want you to do this, or I want you to do that. And sometimes God will say, you know what? I'm going to leave that decision up to you. I've followed Jesus long enough to know that sometimes it's both and. My second point, Jesus has specific plans for his followers for where to go and where not to go, which means that timing is actually everything. You know, you can be in the right place at the wrong time, and it can cost you everything. Anybody ever been there before? Gentlemen, there's times when you just need to walk away from the bar. You need, to, you need to step away from that circle of friends that are going in somewhere where you don't belong anymore. You need to go, you know what? That's not the right place or time for me. I can't be there anymore. There's times when we can be in the right place at the wrong time and it costs everything. There's times when we can make the right decision at the wrong time and it costs us everything. I've experienced that. We need to discern. We need to pray. We need to be led by the Spirit. This is why, as a church, one of our core values, core value number four, is to be a people that are led by and empowered by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will tell us where to go and what to do. 
if we're yielded, if we're listening, if we're open. We walk not according to the flesh, but we walk according to the spirit, which means that our steps should be ordered. Our steps should be in sync with where the spirit is telling us to go and what he's telling us to do. So we need to remain sensitive. Moving on. Matthew chapter 10, verses seven through eight. Now here we're getting down to the bread and butter. And I'm gonna come back to this, these two particular verses each and every week over the course of this series. Here's what Jesus says. And proclaim as you go. He didn't say if you go. This isn't a suggestion to his disciples. <laughs> Sometimes when we, read, we, when we read the words of Jesus, we look at them as a great suggestion. And Jesus is saying, go. Okay? Now, here's what he's saying. Proclaim as you go. Saying. I want you to highlight that. I want you to underline that in your Bible. You're going to see why in just a moment. I want you to say as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Anybody ever raise any dead before? I haven't. I've been following Jesus a long time, but you know what? I'm excited for the opportunity to do it. God might have you guys raise some dead this year. We'll see. Cleanse the lepers. Cleanse the, the, the COVID-19ers. The ones that you're not supposed to touch or be around. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Thank you. Uh, you received without paying, so give without pay. Now, these are the two verses that we're going to look at. And I believe that these verses themselves demand from us an outlandish faith. Okay, raising the dead, casting out demons, cleansing lepers, giving freely as we have freely been given, healing the sick. All of those things require us to be outlandish, do they not? They do. So number three tonight, here's my final point that I want to make. Drastic times call for drastic measures. Drastic times call for drastic measures. I believe we are living in drastic times. I really do. I believe that COVID was a precursor of what is most likely to come, meaning that this is not probably going to be our last pandemic. The question I have for us is, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready for greater persecution? Are we ready for people to challenge our presuppositions and convictions about God? Are we ready for people to challenge what we believe about the Bible and what it means to even be a follower of Jesus? Are you ready to bear the name of bigot and hater because of your desire to live out your faith? Are you ready? Are we, are we ready for our lives to become even more disrupted than they've already been over the course of this last year? You see, I don't believe God allowed what took place to happen to just merely be a temporary speed bump in the road of our life. I believe it was intended to wake us and to stir us and to help us to take notice of what is coming. And here's the cool part. We don't have to do so as a people in fear. We get to be in faith. We get to do so as a people of faith. Because I believe at the same time that we're going to see all of this happen and unfold, we're even more so going to see God do things that are powerful in the lives of people that are currently living far from him. Man, I get excited about it. I get excited because it means that as the darkness grows, the light gets to shine even brighter. It means that we get to see people who have demons get set free. It means that we're going to see people that are sick in their body with cancer, get, get healed. 
I believe it. It means that we're going to see people who are unwell, even within their own emotional health and their mind, be made well, be cured. I really believe it. Verse 7 and verse 8 is our calling card. It's our mission. It's our, it's our memo. It's our manifesto. It's our mandate from Jesus. I want to read it one more time because I really want you to get this in your heart. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now stop. We have done a pretty good job proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. We've used a lot of words and we've preached a lot of sermons and we've set out a lot of podcasts and it's been amazing. It's, it's been awesome. I have no critique because every time the gospel is preached, I'm excited about it. I'm excited. And I don't care if it's not our flavor, our particular way, but I'm excited. But we've emphasized so much that part of the verse that we haven't gone on to do the next part of the verse, which is verse eight. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. Uh, Jesus, I don't know about that part of the verse. I feel safer just telling people about the kingdom rather than living it out. He's saying, guys, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's available, it's near, it's broken in. The rule and reign of Jesus has come into this present age before its full and final consummation in the kingdom to come. So take heed, wake up, get up, grab a hold of your mission, be sober and vigilant, be watchful, and tell people about it. It's always necessary. The whole quote, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's always necessary. It can't be good news unless somebody proclaims it. It takes a herald to preach the good news, which is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says, as you go saying, not just hoping people connect the dots and put it together. Let's never leave the confines of our comfy little houses and homes and churches and hope people just sort of figure out that we have the truth and the life. Come on, guys, I'm preaching to myself tonight. I know what it's like to sometimes get out, leave your garage, and you see that neighbor and you're like, I don't know, not today. <laughs> we can, it's okay, we can, we can be human about it, all right? Jesus doesn't expect perfection, he doesn't expect you to get it right every time. But I'm here tonight to say this. It's time for us to use words. It's time for us to open our mouths and to share the good news. And as God did it with Moses, he'll do it with you. Listen to what Exodus chapter four, verse 12 says. Now go. Isn't that interesting? He told Moses to go, just like Jesus told the disciples to go. Hmm, common theme. Now go, and I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. For many of us, evangelism seems scary because we think that we have to be the Bible answer man. We think that we've got to have all the answers. Can I let you guys in on a little secret? I don't have all the answers. I've been following Jesus for close to 35 years and I don't have all the answers, guys. And there's some things that I read in the Bible that stump me and there's things that I wrestle with and there's things that I used to believe 20 years ago that have changed and adapted and shifted as I've grown in maturity and knowledge and understanding. But guess what? God doesn't expect you to be the Bible answer man or woman or have it all together or get a seminary degree and have double masters in biblical languages before you go and speak. Because 
he gives us his presence and his spirit. He says, Moses, I'll, I'll instruct you in what to say. When the time's right, I'll show up and do my thing. That's Jason's translation. It's my paraphrase. When the time is right, people of God, God will instruct you in what to speak. There have been multiple times when I've been on an airplane sitting next to somebody that God wanted to, wanted me to speak to, and I didn't really know what to say. Like, hey, how's it going? How's life treating you? What's new? And that was about it. But as I sat and began to listen to what was going on in their life, the Holy Spirit began to just start speaking. Just began to start highlighting things like, mm, boom, boom, trauma, boom, unforgiveness, boom, hurt, boom, fear. And then all of a sudden it was like, then, then God started to instruct me in what to say. I want you to speak to that. Okay, God, what do you want me to say to that? I want you to tell her that it's going to be okay. I can do that. You can do that. Isn't it amazing when we trust God to actually work in and through our lives that he actually does it? Because he trusts you a whole lot more than you trust yourself. Jesus trusted his disciples a whole lot more than they trusted themselves. That should encourage somebody tonight. For some of you, the reason you haven't shared your faith with anybody is because you've been held back by the idea that God doesn't believe in you, that he's somehow mad at you and ashamed of you, and that couldn't be further from the truth. The reality is that he, he trusts you more than you trust yourself, and he wants you to go, and he wants you to share your story. He wants you to open up your mouth and speak to that neighbor or that family member or that friend. He wants you to. And here's the cool part. Where God wants you to do something, he will also give you the power to do it. Guys, that's what grace is. Grace is an empowerment. It's not just a cover up for our sin. No, it's the empower. It's the power to do what the truth asks us to do. It's the power, it's the enablement, it's the gifting, it's the charisma, it's of the Holy Spirit, it's the infusing of his power and his might and his courage to be bold and to be strong in what he's calling you to do when you feel frail and weak and not worthy. And for so long, many people have looked to people like me to do the work of the gospel when the truth is my job is to equip you to do the work of the gospel church. I'm called to build you up and edify you to go out so that we can all go out and do it together so that we can be the church and shine our light and be salt where God's calling us to be salt and to speak and to open our mouths and allow the Holy Spirit to move and operate. And I'll tell you what, when you step out in faith to do that, that's when things get exciting. That's when life begins to happen. Oh, I'll tell you what, I love the moments where God shows up but I really love the moments when God shows up in and through me. And I love the moments when God shows up in and through you. When he takes us and he does something extraordinary in and through us. That's the invitation. That's what it means to be outlandish. outlandish. And here's the deal, guys. We don't have to overcomplicate this. We don't have to make it overcomplicated. Beginning this Saturday... At 9 a.m., we're going to help you with this. We're going to show you how to do this practically. We're going to give you some tools. We want to put some tools in your hands so that as you go out, as you speak to people, as you start within your own sphere of influence, that God will help you, that he will instruct you in where to go and what to say. Amen? Amen. 
Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.